Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, I'm going to get there in just a minute. We're starting a brand new series called Launch. And so it's going to be this weekend and the next four weekends, we're going to be kind of walking through, uh, uh, really trying to find purpose for your life and what the Bible has to say about that. Um, and, and I just want to, want to start today, we're talking about GPS, that global positioning systems, global positioning satellites. I, I, how many of you guys have like, like navigational tools, either in your car, handheld devices, Tom, Tom, something? Okay, the rest of you, you need to really get with it. I'm just telling you. Because for me, hey man, for me, GPS saved my marriage. Some of you, it was Jesus. GPS saved my marriage. I'm just telling you right now. I'm just, going, I'm just being honest, right? Tammy and I, we've been married for almost 19 years, have a wonderful home, wonderful marriage, uh, and we have problems, and we get mad like everybody else, and we, we, you know, we, our vo- voices get up and excited, and then that kind of a deal, and we throw food. No, we would never throw food. And, and um, it's a joke, okay? So, but, but the one thing that where we just kind of lose it, like wheels go off, is when we're trying to go to a place that we've never been before. And... Um, and this really kind of hit a climax about 10 years ago. We had just moved here, and somebody had given me free tickets to the Bucks downtown at the Bradley Center. And I grew up in Arkansas, so, I, you know, when you grew up in Arkansas, you just thank God for Mississippi. I mean, I'm just telling you, like, I'm just, you know. And so I was like, man, we were living in a city that has NBA, and I'm so excited. I don't even know who they were playing. It didn't matter. And I should have, like, the first warning should have been that they were free, that they run the Bradley Center, like, way up there. True nosebleed. And so anyhow, and I didn't pay any attention, didn't know, and I was just like, let's just go. And so we went, and it was wintertime, it's cold, and, and I'm driving, and I'm thinking, I can find this place. Well, I'm driving, and so I can't find it. I asked Tammy to pull out a map. This is before smartphones. I know some of you, especially some of you students, are like, before smartphones, what was there? They were called cell phones. And they were about the size of a house. Anyhow, so, so we're driving, and I'm stuck somewhere on some one-way street, Van Buren, some, I don't, somewhere down there. I found Buca de Peppa's like five times, but I couldn't find Bradley Center. And at that point, I began to blame her, and she began to blame me. And this was my fault because I wanted to go to this stupid game, and it's her fault because she can't read a map. I know you guys have never said that before. Just silence. And the wives are going, yeah, that's right. So anyhow, so, so, I mean, just this whole thing, and it just kind of escalated. And so finally, we're late. We finally find the Bradley Center. We find a place to park 25 bucks later, I'm just saying. And we get in there only to find our seats are so far. I can literally touch the rafter. I don't even know if I have to stand up, right, just to touch the I-beams at the top of the place. And, and, and of course, it just went from bad to worse, you know, getting there. That was kind of adding insult to injury. And, and at that point, I, I determined a couple things. One is that she was always going to be the driver because I'm never, I don't drive well enough for her. Two, I was always going to be the navigator because she can't read a map well enough for me. I'm just, can I just, this is just good therapy for me, all right? This is good. This is way cheaper than going to my therapist. And, 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 and I'm, I'm going to get like a TomTom or a navigational system in my vehicle. I'm never going to be without someone telling me how to get from where I am to where I want to go. And, 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 and I thank God. I call my, my, my navigational system Susan. When Susan tells me to go, it's just, just a female's voice, and she tells me where to go. Thank you, Susan. I don't argue with Susan. I don't fight with Susan. Since Susan has come into our marriage, there's peace and tranquility and harmony. And I would just advise all of you, I'm just telling you, Susan and GPS saved mine and Tammy's marriage. And so the thing about GPS is that it helps you get where you want to go. 
I don't really know how it works. It's kind of like a thermos. How does he know to keep the hot things cold and the cold things hot? Hot things hot and the cold things cold. I keep messing that up. Um, but it tells you where you want to go. It helps you get to where you want to go. And here's what I know. Everybody ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. Everybody ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. I didn't come up with that statement, but it's a great statement. I, I meet people all the time that they're en route thinking they're going to one place, and in actuality, they're going to someplace totally different. They, they, they want to get to Florida, but really they're driving 43 north out of the city of Milwaukee, and they're really heading for Escanaba. And they're geared for, for Florida, and they're thinking Florida, and they're going to find a beach in Escanaba. It's just not going to be the same one that they'll find in Fort Myers. You know what I'm talking about? At the end of the day, everybody ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. And that's what this series is about. How do you live a life on purpose? How do you get to where it is that you want to go? Because intention, excuse me, direction, not intention, will determine your destination in life. It's not where you want to go that gets you there. It's the direction of your life, the trajectory of your life, where you're going that actually is going to help you get where you want to go. And, and here's a second statement I want to give you as we kind of launch into today's talk about GPS. We're all going somewhere. The question is, where are you going? We're all going somewhere. Everybody in this room, you're going somewhere. The question is, where are you going? So as we kind of unpack this today, I, I want to start with a calling of the disciples. We're going to look at, at, at the life of the disciples over the next five weeks and how Jesus interacts with them and what he does. Because again, these 12 men had more coaching on purpose and placement in life than we have in anybody else in recorded history and in, in recorded scripture. Uh, we, we know more about what Jesus constantly was grooming them and coaching them and leading them and teaching them about purpose and their place in life, speaking into their lives, speaking things that were not as though they were, speaking into the future of who they were. We see more of this played out in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John than we do any other individuals in Scripture. And so I want to start today as we're talking about GPS, about where are you going, how to get where you want to go. I want to start with the calling of the disciples. And uh, Luke's gospel, chapter 5, verse 1, gives us a calling of, of three disciples as Jesus encounters them. If you read with me in verse 1, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Verse 2, And he saw the water's edge, there were two boats, left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats. Notice he didn't ask, he just gets in, into the boat. I love Jesus. And the one belonging to Simon, who is Peter, and asked him to put it out a little f further from shore. Again, he doesn't ask. He just tells them what to do. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Verse 6. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners and the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken in. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Verse 11, I love this verse. So they pulled their boats on the shore and they left everything and they followed him. Lord, I just thank you for your word, that it's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. 
God, I just pray these next few moments that you would give us ears to hear what you, the Spirit of God, is saying to us. And that you would give me the ability to correctly handle this text, God, in such a way uh, that, that, Holy Spirit, that you will speak directly to hearts and lives of people and anoint these words in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to, there's just some phrases that pop out of here because I, I, I want to, there's, you, you kind of get the context. There's not a whole lot to give in the background. But Jesus is teaching here and, and he's lakeside. And so, um, and, and so the people are hearing and, and hearing what's going on and, and they're listening to him. But there are these fishermen that are doing their job. They've been working the night shift. Uh, they haven't caught anything all night. They're washing their nets um, they would typically go out at night because the fish in the cool of the evening would come to the surface. It was easier to catch them, cast out the nets, bring them in. Then they would take them to market to sell them. Then they'd go to George Webb and get a double web because that's what you do at George Webb. Holla! You know what I'm saying? And they would go home and sleep. And so, because then they had to get up and, and work again. This was, this was hard manual labor. And so Peter, James, and John, these, this fishing company of guys, this is what they did for their livelihood, for their business, have been doing this all night and they caught nothing. If you've ever worked commission sales, you've ever done a job where you don't get paid unless somebody else comes through, this is, and, and you've had a client or a customer that, that just kept shopping and looking but never purchased and then finally went somewhere else and you lost the sale and you'd spent all of this energy and you had nothing to show for it and you feel disappointed and you feel frustrated and you just want to just go to bed, get a good night's sleep and start up the next day. That's how these guys felt. They'd fished all night, hadn't caught anything. They're at the shoreline. They're not listening to Jesus. They're not there to hear him. The text clearly tells us, Luke says that they're, that, they're, that they're washing their nets. They're just trying to get done, get everything packed away, so they can go to George Webb, get a double web, go home, go to sleep, and start the next day. Jesus is preaching. We don't even know when he stops preaching. Maybe this was the grandiose sermon illustration. We really don't know. But in the middle of what he's saying, he just gets into the boat and says, hey, let's just go out a little further. And so they do. Peter obliges them. And maybe because he's trying to be nice, maybe because he had heard of Jesus' reputation, although Jesus is just kind of beginning his ministry, so he hasn't done some of the major things and that, that we, he will continue to do, that, 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 that Luke will continue to, to record about. And, uh, and so at this, he, he does something that I think is amazing, and I think it's very simple that we just kind of read over it. But it's the first thing I want to talk about when you're talking about the finding out where you want to go in life is... Jesus got into one of the boats, verse 3. He got into the boat. He, he's mid-sentence, he's mid-speaking, mid he's right there in the middle of what he does, and he just steps into the boat, just, just does it. He just kind of gets into the boat. Simon doesn't push him out. Simon doesn't push him away. Simon doesn't correct him. Simon doesn't look at him and tell him how tired he is. He doesn't tell him about it. He just simply, He just simply gets in the boat, and Jesus says, let it go out a little further, and he's like, okay, I'll go out a little further. And we know that James and John, the other fishermen, a part of this company, are on the shoreline. They're, they've not left shore. They're, they're still looking and going, okay, Peter, do what you want to do, bro, but we're going to George Webb to get a double web, and then we're going home to sleep. And here's the interesting thing about Jesus. He's a rabbi. He's not a fisherman. We don't even know there's any history of him fishing, per se, in, in this type of capacity. He's a public speaker. He's a communicator. He, he, he's a white-collar professional if you want to step into a very much a blue collar man's world and in many ways these two guys wouldn't really connect and cross paths except for on the sabbath at the synagogue and i think sometimes this is what i think is amazing about this jesus wants to get into the boat of our life but we think he has nothing to say about my business 
He has nothing to say about my marriage. He wasn't even married, right? And he can't say anything about kids because he doesn't have any children. So really, what does Jesus have value into my life? And what we do is we dichotomize our lives into two parts. We have the real world, and then we go to church on Sunday. And we live this little, little cocoon where Jesus is all right, kind of like the Doobie Brothers. I mean, we're cool with Jesus. We don't have a problem with Jesus. We, we don't want to go to hell. We want to go to heaven. So we kind of do this thing called church on Sundays or Saturdays if we're really super contemporary. And we do this thing, and then, and then we just kind of do it. But we really don't want him getting involved in our business. We really don't want him getting involved in our marriage. We really don't want him getting involved in our family or in our relationships. Because what does Jesus have to say to that? I'm so glad Peter didn't do that. Peter didn't look at him and say, hey, bro. Hey, speaker man. Hey, preacher man. This is the real world. And I've been busting my rear end all night long, and I have nothing to show for it. So you read the Bible way too just sanctimoniously. You have nothing. Do you see the calluses on this hand? Do you see the sweat? Do you hear this? Do you smell the stench? I haven't been just standing on the shoreline getting to speak to people all day long. I've been doing a hard day work. And at the end of the day, I have nothing to show for it. And the last thing I want to do is take you on a boat ride. No. Jesus gets into the boat, and we find out later Jesus didn't really need a boat because he can walk on water. I'm just saying. He gets into the boat, and Peter just simply obliges him. And here's what's important to understand. Jesus will rarely bypass your humanity to display his divinity. Jesus will rarely bypass your humanity to display his divinity. If, if Jesus is speaking to you and he's wanting to get into the boat of your life and you give him the good old college Heisman, he's a gentleman. Okay. If Peter would have said, get out of my boat, I think Jesus would have said, all right, go on with your bad self. You're going to miss out on a life. And I'm going to strike that lake dead with fish. You're going to be able to fish for any, and, I mean, You know, he created the oral so he could do what he wanted to do, right? But no, 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 no. He, he, he invites him in. He allows him in. And, and this is what I think what happens is Jesus wants to do the miraculous in our life, but we have to let him get in the boat. He wants to do great things in your life, but you've got to let him get in the boat. He wants to do great things in, in your family, in your marriage, in your relationship, but you've got to invite him into your marriage, in your family, your relationship. He wants to do great things in your business. Listen to me. We are all called to do something. God has gifted you, and he's, and he, and he's, he's educated you through life experience and formal education and, and, and so forth, to bring you to a particular place to do the thing that he's called you to do. And, and, and let me say this, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that's a higher calling than you being a factory line worker or you being a stay-at-home mom or you being a, a, um, an airplane pilot or, or, or a doctor or a lawyer or, or a mission. It, it, listen, a call to vocational ministry is no higher than your call to, to do whatever it is that God has put in your ability to do. The Bible says whatever we do, we do with all of our might. And so because God has gifted you, because he's done that, he wants to send every person in this room to, into every man's world to shine forth the light of Jesus Christ. Matthew tells us that in Matthew chapter 5. Go, you know, the, the, the whole idea about taking our light and shining it into a dark, and dark world. That's what we do. That's what you do. But the reality is unless we let Jesus get into the boat of our lives, of our businesses, of our homes, and of our families, we just simply relegate them to an hour on Sunday morning. And what good is that? It's of no good. Listen, if Jesus is only good to keep your rear end out of hell, there's no value in what we're doing here. We're better off to go to George Webb and get a double web, which I'm thinking a lot about because I'm talking a lot about it right now. But the reality is that Jesus isn't just about 
the sweet by and by. He's about living life in the here and now. He has a plan and purpose for your life. He wants to do great things in your life. And this isn't some Sunday morning stump speech. This is exactly what he will do in the lives of these guys. But you first have to let him in the boat. The second thing we see is in verse 5. Is that when Jesus steps into the boat... And, and he continues to speak, and he asks Peter to, to, to go out a little further. Finally, when he gets him out there, he really reveals why he wants him to, what he wants him to do. He wants him to take his nets and fish again. Now, this was the wrong time of the day to catch fish. It wasn't what they did. It, the day's over. The season's over. The opportunity has closed. Everybody knows it. And Peter is really trying to be nice. He's tired. He's fatigued. He's frustrated. And he looks at Jesus and he says, look, Rabbi, I've been out here on the water all night long. I do this for a living. I know you don't fish, but here's the bottom line. I'm not going to catch anything. It's just not going to happen today. And then he utters these words, but because you say so. Those are powerful words. I think probably some of the most powerful words in the entire text, to be honest with you. But because you say so. I will do what you say. It's faith in action. That's really what faith is. God, I don't really understand. God, I got questions. God, I, but, but you know what? Because you say so, palms up. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do. Not because it makes complete sense to me because it doesn't. Not because I can, I can, can, can put everything together. I, I can't put it in some, some mathematical equation that's going to make it balance out because it doesn't. But because you say so, I'll do it. Because you say so, I'll trust you. And this is something that I think sometimes we struggle with. This is immediate obedience, and it becomes less and less and less common. And delayed obedience is disobedience, just the same. If God's asked you to do something, and you just simply want to couch it, not because, but because you have questions, and because you're unsure, and because of this and that, and, about it, and you know it's God asking you to do it, you're basically kind of giving God the Heisman. And in actuality, that's disobedience. It is. We don't like to hear that. That messes with our consumeristic mindset as Americans. But the bottom line is, is when God speaks, the only thing that needs to come out of our mind, mouth is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You're God and I'm not. I, I, I live in this little piece of time which, which is, is very linear from birth into death. And I only have a very limited perspective even within, the, even within the continuum of time in which I occupy this space. But you, oh God, have been around before the earth was ever formed. You were here. And when it's over, you will be here. And you see how my life and the events of my life fit together with every other person on the planet currently, before me, and after me in the entire eschaton of time. So Lord, because you say so. I will. It's scary sometimes to do that. But what I think is even scarier is that I never tell my GPS, Susan, that she doesn't know what she's talking about. Susan, yeah, you got, you got it wrong. Susan, yeah, you know, no, no. I just follow. Whatever she turned left here, turn right here. You've made a mistake, you dummy. She says that to me sometimes. Uh, Siri, uh, that's a whole other story. And, 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 you know, make a U-turn, whatever. The bottom line is, I, I just, I follow. Because I don't know where I am going. I know where I want to get to. I just don't know how to get there. But how many times do I argue with God? Think about how stupid that is. Seriously. I won't argue with an inanimate object about being the authority on how to get to where I want to go. But I will with God. 
And some of you, the reason why you're high-centered in your life is because you're arguing with God. Because you're wrestling with things that are way beyond your pay grade. And I don't think there's bad things to have questions. I don't think it's bad to, to wrestle with questions. Your questions don't off-put God. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying when you know that God has spoken to you, when you know this is what you're supposed to do with your life, when you know what you're doing, if you don't do that, you're just simply playing games. And Peter just says, okay, Lord, because you say so. I'll simply follow you because you say so. And as we continue to read in verse 6, what happens is a miracle. He drops down the nets, the wrong time of the day, and a lake he'd been fishing all night. And, and, and James and John are still on the shorelines uh, cleaning their nets because they want to be done. And he gets so many fish that he has to signal to his partners. He signals to James and John. And the Bible says that James and John come. And they fill Peter's boat. And they fill their boat so full that it's about to sink them. And Peter's partners, James and John, as we will read on in Scripture, are all three of those men will be called disciples of Jesus. Here's what's interesting to me. Jesus finds Peter, and for most of the other disciples, he calls them individually. But this, it happens in a group. What's also interesting is that we know that there were thousands of people that Jesus fed, you know, the feeding of the 5,000 that followed him, and that he had large audience and had much influence, and they lined the streets, and, and they sang Hosanna and, and all of that. We also know that when it really came down to it, there were 120 in the upper room that were truly disciples and followers of Christ after his death. Uh, we know that, that even from that was more narrow, that there were 70 that he sent out as, as followers at large to be able to do evangelization while Jesus was still living on the planet. And then we know he called 12 disciples, but within the 12, there's three. Peter, James, and John. They were the inner circle. And it's interesting to me that the inner circle were all together. There was a relationship there when they all came to Jesus. And, and what it speaks of to me is, who are the people in your life that you cry out to when you need help? Who are the partners that you have in your life? Who are the people that you surround yourself with? If I could take your cell phone, I could look at that. And, and the, the people that you surround yourself with are the people that you text the most, that you FaceTime the most, or that you call the most. These are the people that, if you're stuck in the middle of the night, they're going to come to your rescue. These are the people that are there for you. These are the people that, when you're dealing with difficult life questions, you get counsel from. These are the people... And what do we tell our kids? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You show me who your inner circle is and I will show you where you're headed in life. If they're losers, you're probably not going to be a winner. And I'm not talking about evangelization. I'm not talking about loving people far away from God. I'm not but I'm talking about the people that are tight-knit, the people that are your brothers, the people that are your sisters, the people that you, you can count on, the people that are there to hold you up, the people that are there. And the Bible says, woe to the man who falls. And when he, cry, when he falls and he cries out, there's no one there to hear him. We were never created to do life alone. We were never created for achievement. We were created for a relationship. Sesame Street even gets this. Who are the people in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood? You know that one. Who are the people in your neighborhood, the people that you meet each day? I mean, we, you know, I mean, like, we, the world gets this. 
And my question, my, my thing here is, is one of the things that helps when you're talking about finding purpose in your life is who are the people in your world that you do life with? Who are the people that are your partners? Because you're only as strong as those people. And, and if you're new to Life Church, and, 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 and you, one of the ways that we do this here is through life groups. I mean, when you leave today, as you on your, your seat and, and, and at West Campus, we have these, these brochures, these orange brochures. There's orange tent at the Germantown campus and at the West Campus. As you leave today, people that can answer questions. But if you're here and you're going, hey, man, this is where I'm going to go to church, I encourage you, get involved in a life group. Why? Because this is how you do life. Life transformation doesn't happen in rows. It happens in circles. It happens with people that you're able to pray with and you're able to do life with and you're able to, and you go, but I'm new and I, well, this is all the more important for you to get involved. But what happens if I go to a group and they're weird, then don't go back. Because <laughs> there's weird people at Life Church. If you need me to point them out, I can help you. And somebody's laughing nervously like, Haha, he's talking about me. It just is that, and we tell our life group leaders, don't get offended. Everybody's trying to find, but it's important that you find that. You ever been to a church when somebody goes, well, I missed several weeks and nobody even called me? At Life Church, if you say that, the question I'm going to ask you is, are you involved in a life group? No, I didn't have time. No, I don't really like doing that. No, that's kind of weird to me. No, whatever it is. Then I'm going to say, that's how we do that. That's how we do life together. That's how we have community, one with another. That's, that's how we do that. Why? Because it's biblical. It's important. Acts chapter 242, we see that, that, that the New Testament church, this is how they did life. This is how Peter, James, and John did life together. You need to have people as you're trying to get to where you're going. And the last statement is in verse 11. They left everything and followed him. I love that. They left everything and followed him. Everything. And everything is different for everybody. If you have a lot of things... You, sometimes we think, well, the more things that you have, the, the harder it is to, to leave it. No, no, no. It's, it's all, this is all relative. If all the clothes that you have are the clothes that are on your back, for you to leave everything, that's, you don't walk around naked. If you have a closet full of clothes, a half of them that you've never worn before, that's still a lot of stuff to walk away from. It's all relative. If you live in a shanty or you live in a mansion, to walk away from everything is a, is a lot. Well, what, my, my, my point to you is simply this, is that for everything, when they said they left everything, they meant everything. They left the boats and the nets on the shore. They left it behind. They didn't broker the deal. They didn't try to sell the business out. They didn't say, hey, Jesus, give me a little time to, to clean up some stuff. They left it and they followed him. Why? Because what they realized is, is that what they had encountered, they had never had in their life. What they had encountered was a person, more than a person, he was God, and he spoke purpose into their life. What they had encountered was something far more greater than trading days for dollars that sometimes could end up in disappointment. And they leave everything and they follow Jesus. And ultimately, if you're going to have a God-centered life, and you're ultimately going to get to where God really has designed you to be. Because I'm telling you, he's got great things in store for every one of you in this room. You're going to have to be willing to leave everything and follow him. Commandment number one, Old Testament. I'm the Lord your God and I'll have no other gods before me. God says of himself, he's a jealous God. Jesus says in the New Testament that I am the way, the truth, and life, and that there's no way, no, no way else to the Father except through me, the Son. 
Are you willing to leave everything to follow Jesus? That's the question. It's not like an add-on, like heated seats that you get on your car. It's not like an upgrade that you can like... It's, are you willing to leave everything to follow Jesus? No turning back. We just sang it a few minutes ago. I love that old song. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. And some of you, I looked as I sat at the Germantown campus and I watched some of you look at other people going, why are they lifting their hands and why are they so involved? Because those people, most of which, have left everything to follow Jesus. And everything isn't always good, isn't it? Some of you have lost some, some, you've left behind some, some really junky past and some really jacked up ways. And God has redeemed you. And so you lift your arms and you say, to God be the glory. Great things he's done. And if he can do it in me, he can do it in anybody. And some of you, you've left behind some things that were really good, but they were good things. They were not God things. And you're finding your purpose and your plan in God. And it's not always easy. But you're willing to leave everything to follow Jesus. For Peter, that day on that shoreline, as he drops to his knees, he tells God that he's not worthy. And he leaves everything. He's trading in this lifestyle of being a commercial fisherman, this this, this rugged manual labor job. And little does he know that what Jesus is going to do, he's going to lead him to become the New Testament, to be the leader of the New Testament church. It will be Peter that he will look up and say, upon this rock I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against me. It will be Peter that, that will see miracles, signs and wonders, but it will also be Peter who will fail, fail, crash and burn in front of God and everybody at the, resur- at the, at the crucifixion and deny Christ. It'll be Peter who kind of walks away and he goes back to fishing only to find Jesus coming to him as he's coming up on the shoreline once again, just like he did in Luke chapter 5. And Jesus will speak in a way that only he can. And he'll look at Peter and say, I didn't call you for this. Failure is not final. My calling on your life is without repentance. I called you to be not fisher of fish, but fisher of men. And he will reinstate Peter. And Peter will be there with 120. And they'll pray. And they'll pray in the upper room in Jerusalem. Until all of a sudden, Peter will be the one that will see and that will hear this this sound like a rushing mighty wind. Read it in Acts chapter 2. And he will see what will be like tongues of fire that will sit down upon every single person and they'll begin to speak in new tongues and he will be the one that will preach that day with this bold and passionate and see 3,000 people come to faith in Christ that's what Peter was leaving behind that's the everything the little that he gave up to find the life James James will be probably one of the quietest of the three of Peter, James and John But James will be the one that he'll watch Jesus open blinded eyes. He'll see the lame walk. He'll see the blind, the lame man that's brought in through, through, through the, through the roof and Jesus heal him. He'll see Jesus confront the religious leaders of the day and the religion made by man. He will see Jesus as he walks in to Lazarus and speaks 
and, and Lazarus comes forth, he will be one of the only ones that will get to go in as Jairus' eight-year-old daughter is laying dead on a table and he'll see Jesus breathe life into her and his life will forever be changed. And John, John, John the beloved, oh, John will write, John will write the words that we all look to see. For there is coming a day when in the eastern sky the clouds shall part and there'll be a man in the cloud with a crown on his head and a sickle in his hand and he'll harvest the earth. John will be the one who'll write the book of Revelation. He'll be the one that'll tell us how this thing all ends. John will be the only disciple that won't die a natural death. I mean, that won't die a martyr's death, but will actually die a natural death. Not because they didn't try to kill him, they tried to burn him alive, boil him alive, but he wouldn't boil. And it will be John that will tell us about our King of Kings and Lord of Lords that will come and will make sense of the mess in the world that we live in, of this Middle East crisis that will not end until Jesus comes back. And that only happened because they were willing to leave everything and follow Jesus. Are you willing? Because everyone ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. And the ultimate question today is, we're all going somewhere, but where are you going? Are you willing to let Jesus get into the boat of your life? Are you willing to follow what he says? Even though it doesn't make total sense to you, are you willing to relinquish your rights and say, because you say so, Jesus, I'll do this? Are you willing to let others help you in life? And ultimately, are you willing to leave everything and follow him? Will you bow your heads with me today? Everyone in this room, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just simply want to ask these two questions. The first question I want to ask is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're saved, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're here today and you say, you know what, Aaron, I've just been challenged. uh, I've been arguing with God about some things. And and it's really a lordship issue. I'm on my way to heaven, but I'm really not letting him get into the boat of my life. And I'm really pushing back and he's speaking in my life, but I'm not doing what he's asking me to do. And today I'm willing just to let him do what he wants to do. I'm willing just to surrender it all to him. If that's you, I just want you to slip up your hands. That's me, Aaron. Thanks, up and down, all across the room. Boom, boom, boom. Anybody else? That's where you're at today. Because I'm gonna pray for you. Thanks, just up and back down. Maybe you're a high school student or a middle school student and you went to camp this summer and, and you went to mission trip and you did all of that and you're back in the first or your second week of school and all of a sudden the temptation and the friends and all the things. And as I'm speaking today, that commitment that you made in that mission trip, that commitment that you made at that altar at youth camp, it, it's coming back to you. And you just go, you know what? I, I just want to re-up that commitment and just say, I've decided to follow Jesus. Is that you? Thanks. Middle school and high school students, thanks. Thanks. My second question is for those of you that are in this room that would say, man, Aaron, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm lost. I don't know where you are on that continuum of being lost, but lost is lost. But as you're speaking today, there's just something about what's being said. And I wanna give my life to Christ. I wanna let Jesus get into the boat of my life. I wanna follow what he says. I I, I wanna leave everything and follow him. I wanna give my life to Christ today. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to ask with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, 
I'm going to ask that you just simply slip up your hand and say, that's me. Would, would you pray for me? Thanks. Thanks. Just up and back down. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask all of us to, we're going to pray this prayer together. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it's not, it's not, it's not the, 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 the sequence of the words in which we pray, but it's the fact that we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and that we believe it in our heart. And if you believe the prayer that you're about to pray, you're going to come into faith in Jesus Christ. And then we're going to end the prayer and I'm going to pray for you. But I'm going to ask those of you to lend your voice with those who've never prayed this prayer before and repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life, to be my Lord and my Savior. I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I make a decision today to invite you to get in the boat of my life, to follow what you say and to leave everything to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I pray right now, Lord, for those that are following you, Lord, that just prayed that prayer, God, that you would just fill their hearts with joy, fill their hearts with hope, fill their hearts, Lord, with the peace of God that passes all understanding. Just let it flood them right now. I pray for those that that raised their hand first and said they were followers of Jesus Christ, but today they just felt like a re-up. They just felt like to recommit, just to to recommit that, that commitment to you. I just pray, Lord, that you right there where they are, that you, Lord, would just minister to them. God, that your sense of the Holy Spirit would so be real in their lives. Lord, as they made that commitment, God, to allow you and invite you into the boat of their life and to follow you and just to do what you say because you say so, I pray in Jesus' name that you would just minister to them. God, as they surrender that to you, that you, Lord, would just seal that time. God, just that, that commitment, that covenant, Lord, is, is, is that they're making with you, Lord, to follow you. Lord, I pray for every high school and junior high student, Lord, that as they're going to their schools, God, and they're living this life out, that you will just give them strength, God, to keep that commitment that they made at camp, to keep that commitment that they made on the mission trip, to keep that commitment that they've made with you. Oh, God, to serve you with a reckless abandon, regardless what the world does, regardless what their classmates do, regardless what popular opinion says, that they're going to trust in you with all of their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, and with all their strength. And I pray today, Lord, your blessings be upon your people. In Jesus' name, amen.